right, church, we are in week four of a five-week teaching series called Grace Changes Everything, and we're looking at Romans chapter one through chapter eight. And I've given our church a a grace challenge, right? Because if you're going to be competitive about anything, be competitive about grace, I guess. And we're asking the church to read Romans chapter one through eight uh, at home with your family, with your kids. That would be awesome too. So that when you come to church, uh, you're ready to hear God's word because it's already beginning uh, to sink in your, your bones. Additionally, the second challenge we've given our church is to memorize Romans six fourteen, which is sort of I would even argue the thesis, the big idea uh, for the Christian life. It's definitely the big idea of the gospel in Paul's writings in, in Romans about this topic of grace. And so we, we have said together out loud as a community online as well as on campus, Romans 6.14 together as a church. And I'd like to do that again before we jump into the message. So let's read aloud together Romans 6.14. Uh, Ready? For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now let's do it again. I'm going to take some words away. Not as many as last week, because some of you bombed. Thankfully, we have uh, some preachers in the room that saved you guys. Um, But let's do it again. Okay, here we go. Ready? For shall no longer be your because you are not under the but under grace. Awesome. Good job. And that, that's, that, that's critical. That's critical because we said that sin is a double curse, that we're guilty of the penalty of sin, life without the possibility of parole, and we're also dominated by the power of sin. Um, I was really excited to preach this message uh, because for, for me personally, I don't want to project on you, but for me personally, it's been one of the more meaningful messages because I've actually been living out of it. It's always good as a communicator to have lived something before you actually talk about it. And there's some things in the Bible where, you know, because of my age or maybe my um, disobedience, I haven't lived out yet, but I have this and I'm growing in it. And I'll tell you what, over the last three to five years, I've really come alive. Uh, I I was actually going to have the sermon done and given to Brian uh, before the deadline. My my sermons are due to Brian Thursday by 12 o'clock ish. I would like to avoid the ish as much as I can because I like Brian, want to respect his boundaries, but I was ready to rock and roll like Tuesday, give it to him. On Wednesday morning, uh, before I left the house to go to work, had a few meetings, uh, I checked my phone and that never really ends in a good story. Uh, And what happened was when I looked at my phone, my, my heart sank because a childhood friend of mine, and you probably may not have heard this on social media, unless you follow like a lot of preaching, religious, Christianity, uh, journals and articles. Um, My friend's in a lot of trouble. Uh, When I saw the article, he was was paired next to a very prominent preacher uh, in America. I won't say who it is because it doesn't, it's not relevant. And I still love my friend and I hope God continues to work in his life. And the basis of the article is this, that for basically his entire ministry, not at one, but at two churches, he's never preached an original sermon in his life. He stole uh, 200, over 200, at least one of the churches, 200 sermons of other communicators, top communicators. So the sermons were good. They just weren't his, right? Um, and the, the preacher that he was um, next to was the one that he stole the most from. And uh, my heart broke for him uh, because I I grew up with him. We went to the same church. His dad 
was one of our pastors. Uh, he, he was our he was the youth pastor to our youth pastor. And so when Brad got out of college and came on as our youth pastor, his dad moved on to do adult ministry, men's ministry, outreach, and different things like that. His, his dad had been at the church so long <clears throat> that all the kids knew not to ask, what does he do at the church, right? Because our parents would say, he works at the church. That's all you need to know because he's been there forever. And my friend grew up in a good church. She grew up in a good home, good school. Um, my friend's mom is the best. She's my was my favorite small group leader when I was in high school. Uh, super insightful and mature, and just knew knew God's word and had the tolerance and patience to hang out with high school students um, and could hold her own with high school boys. And it, it was just a great experience growing up. And as I'm sitting there reading that article, I'm trying to marry uh, the idea of the guy, my friend that I grew up with, to uh, who he has become today. And the truth of the matter is, I think one of the reasons why there's a divorce between who my friend was and who he is now is what we're going to talk about today which is the goal of grace. Sanctification is the goal of grace. My friend became a Christian at a young age. He was baptized the whole nine, uh, but he never grew in his sanctification. And so there were parts of his life that he continued to bury. And we talked about this, I think in like week one or week two, uh, in Romans one, somewhere around verse 18, Paul says, people suppress the truth of God, right? Or they suppress their sin. And one of the words for suppression means like, think of the summertime, the pool is when you try to uh, dunk somebody or when I try to drown my brother, right? You hold it underwater long enough and you laugh and you cut up, but eventually you loosen your grip and your brother underwater probably is pro-life at that point and wants to live and shoots out of the water. And that's what our sin does. And that's what happened to my friend. Not on a, not on a like state level, like national level. How is it? How is it church that someone even us, even myself, can be a Christ follower at a young age or any age and then never really grow in our sanctification, never really grow and develop in our own spiritual formation. We learned how to play hide and seek as a young child, as young children, and some of us are so good at it that we continue to play it today. At some point in your life, with your small group, with your church, with leadership, with the people you work with at work that, that are on your team, at, in your marriage, in your parenting, uh, the friends you go to school with, at some point you have to answer the question. And if you, even if you refuse to answer it, you're already answering it. You have to ask the question or answer the question, how deeply do I want to be known? How deeply do I want to be known? I mean, when my parents split, right? My church grew from like 500 to I think 1300 before I went to college. Everybody was surprised. And I'm like, surprised? Like, you, you guys didn't tell them what was going on at home? No, because they suppressed the truth. They buried it. And we know as Christ followers, we're thankful for our justification and that Jesus died on the cross, rose again three days later. And justification, as I said a couple of weeks ago, is an immediate change in status. Dead in sin, forgiven, alive in Christ. Has nothing to do with your morality. Has nothing to do with your sin or your church attendance or your Bible reading or your giving, right? That's how much God actually loves you and quite frankly, even likes you. And we, we dig that, right? Because that's a free gift. But 
the hard part about our journey with Christ is not the justification, because that's like given to us. It's the sanctification, right? Changing the behavior, the mindset, the way we view things before Christ need to shift and need to change. And we have to make that decision if we want to do that. Grace puts us uh, in a state of forgiveness, but it also sets us on a trajectory of healing, right? And so often, I think sometimes in, in Christianity and in, in the church, we're cool with the black and white, Jesus died for my sins and I'm going to go to heaven. But I don't know that the gospel has anything to do with my alcoholic parents or the things that have been done to me when I was younger or the way I'm treated at work or the way my parents treat me or my friends treat me at school. Like somehow we divorce those things. And, and <clears throat> all of the writers of the Bible, no, those, those are one of the Those need to be married together. And that's part of your sanctification, allowing God to work and move in your heart. One of the words for uh, salvation there are many in the New Testament, it's sozo, which means um, that something is broken. It's the process of making something that was broken whole again, right? There's a woman that reached out for Jesus. She had been alienated and isolated by people in her community, and she touched Jesus, had a conversation with Jesus. In Matthew 9, 22, Jesus looks at her and says, take heart, daughter, which means, take heart usually means um, that's usually said to somebody who is struggling with the mental health of anxiety. Take heart, calm down, relax, take a deep breath. Or my mom would say, Ben, take a chill pill. Your faith has sozo you, has healed you. You were broken from the issues that were going on in your life because you were isolated from everybody, right? There's an emotional, relational element to our sin, and to the things that have been done to us. And Jesus says, you have been broken, but your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And that's part of the, the, the tension, right? In the Christian journey is, you know, we're saved and we're, gonna, we're going to heaven and all that other stuff. And then we just sort of check out. But there's an entire healing process that needs to take place. We need to grow in our sanctification. We need to grow uh, in our relational IQ. We need to be aware of our blind sides. We need to be aware of when we walk into a room, how do we take up space? Right? These are all things that the Spirit of God will lead us and guide us if we're actually willing to step into it. Guys, I care about this topic so much that um, our staff has a monthly God day. What's a God day? Well, instead of coming into the office to get paid to do work, they're being paid to rest and to be with the Lord. Because I keep saying this over and over again on the journey inward of our discipleship pathway, who you're becoming is more important than what you're doing. I don't care if anybody in our staff at some point has the hottest ministry in Salem, if they're burned out, they hate their life, and their spouse is this close to filing for divorce. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And it teaches poor boundaries. I want them to be with God. No email, uh, no phone calls that are work-related. And some of us go hiking. Some of us go out on the water. Some of us go to coffee shops. Some of us, you know, we, we finally get to that lunch <clears throat> with a friend that we've been meaning to do, uh, to meet with them for so long. And it's an opportunity to refresh their souls. Every Thursday, we read a soul care book. 
spiritual formation book. And we talk about it every Thursday morning because I want our church to practice and embody our values. Some of our values is that we want to be a relational church. We want to be a vibrant church. And we also want to be a dependent church. Those are just words on a screen until we start practicing these things. One of the books that we're reading right now, we just started in chapter three, and I highly encourage you to pick it up on Amazon. It's a book written by a pastor from Queens, New York, Pete Scazzaro. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And this is what he says about our shadow side, our resistance to be led by the Holy Spirit. Your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives, less uh, less than pure motives and thoughts that, while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape our behaviors. It is the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. What's the version of yourself that you're keeping underwater? Right? That's the version that needs to be known in the context of a trusted Christian community or a trusted group of friends. And it's wrestling with that question, church, of like, do you want to be known, right? This is so important to Jesus that towards the end of his public ministry, when he has to leave, he tells the disciples, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send someone to come alongside you in your journey that won't leave you, that won't abandon you, that will come alongside of you. And that's the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the Holy Spirit in John 16, Jesus says this, when he, the Holy Spirit, which by the way, the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a person. There's a personhood to the Holy Spirit like Jesus and our Heavenly Father. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So apparently the world, culture is wrong about three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now he expands that, verse 9, about sin, because people don't believe in me which we already know that in 2021, verse 10, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. As if the cross and an empty tomb weren't enough, God in his graciousness gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, all right? Now, now don't get me wrong. I don't want to, don't send me emails. I, I love Jesus, But we have done a very poor job of having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Sounds kind of mystical, sounds kind of new agey, right? Kind of sounds like the friend that you never want to hang out with because they love essential oils, right? I mean, I love essential oils, so, you know, judge me, whatever. Um, It it seems kind of like, how do we have a relationship with a spirit that seems sort of funky? And yet Jesus says, When you become a Christian, you'll have the Holy Spirit, and he will lead you and guide you. Three ways that we can grow in our sanctification, church. I want to give you three words. First one, repentance. Our repentance begins the process of our sanctification, right? Jesus says, the world, us, we are wrong about three things. We're wrong about sin, we're wrong about righteousness, and we're wrong about judgment. Now, We live in a culture that says things like, this is my truth. And because this is my, and I'm not talking about the experience that have happened to you, because yes, that is your truth. That is what happened to you. I'm talking about about philosophy, universal truth, right? We have the, the lingo now is, this is my truth. I'm telling my truth. And you have no 
um, theological, philosophical, or cognitive argument to tell me I'm wrong. And you know what? You're right. You're right. But it's highly subjective. Where does where do the writers of Scripture tell us to go to know what the truth is about sin, righteousness, and judgment? Hopefully, you're holding it in your hand, whether it's a book or a phone. It's your Bible. In Hebrews 4.12, the writer says this, For the Word of God is alive and active. When you read the Bible, it's reading you. It's alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I want to talk about for a minute the difference. Uh, this has really crept in the church uh, maybe the last five, 10 years. The difference between the Holy Spirit and your consciousness, right? There are a lot of Christians who mean well that say really horrible things, right? When asking for advice, someone will come to you and say, here's what I'm going through in life. I need to make this decision relationally, financially, business-wise. And we'll say things, and we mean well, so no judgment, just an observation. We'll say things like, we'll trust your gut, follow your heart, right? Do you have a clean conscience about the decision you're trying to make? The point is, Jesus never said to do any of those things. He never said to trust your heart, Why? Because the Bible says the heart is wicked. Who can understand it? Nobody can, unless the God who put it in there. Only Jesus can understand it. And we we are so we are so out the pasture about uh, our shadow side that we will unintentionally manipulate people and situations for our good without us even realizing it. And if all we're doing is listening to our heart, which is a good 80s song, not a good philosophy. If we're not, if all we're doing is trusting our gut or, you know, living in a way that would, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt me, as long as I have a clear conscience, then nothing could be wrong. But the problem is, as a Christ follower, everything is wrong with that. Jesus said never to do any of those things. What he did say is read your Bible Follow the Holy Spirit. He will lead you into all truth. Truth about what? You. The stuff that's happened to you in your past. What's going on now? What will happen in the future? But not only the truth of you, but the truth of who you are in relationship to the who, who God actually is. Church, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by coming to church on a Sunday. It doesn't happen by giving. It doesn't happen by serving. It happens by developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. To steal a quote from a pastor, just because you're in church doesn't mean you're in Christ. We have to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And church, that begins by practicing daily repentance, which is the opposite of the American way of living. Paul says in Romans 8, 4, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit, well, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Paul later goes on in that same chapter that says those who are dominated by their sin and their flesh, right? Life is a movie. They're the main character. It's their world. You're living in it. And everyone exists even spaces, uh, to make that person comfortable. Paul later says in in Romans 8 that folks that live this way, even if they were given the opportunity, think of Exodus and Pharaoh, even if they were given the opportunity, they don't want to change their mind, right? 
That's why I like sharing your faith in the gospel is so gut-wrenching with people you love and work with and care about. Right? They have no desire to be controlled and dominated and led by the Spirit because they'd rather be controlled and domi- dominated and led by themselves, which is to say their own conscience, their heart, trust their gut. And Jesus says, you'll never be transformed. That's not, church, how sanctification works. It's how people that aren't interested in Jesus work and how they function, how they live their life, but it's not how Christ's followers should function. We should not be telling people to trust their heart, intuition, or their gut. We should be leading them to say, what is the Holy Spirit telling you? What are you reading in God's word, right? You will often find God is a, a God of many options, as long as we're being faithful to him. Like, for example, if it's a, uh, a question about what job you can take, and um, they're both great jobs, and it's door A or door B, I think God's like, pick, right? But then there's other things that are more serious, that if we're only leaning into ourselves and our own truth, man, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it, and we won't be transformed. First word, church, is uh, repentance. Second word is yielding. Yielding to the Holy Spirit allows us to be formed into our sanctification. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, like our job. This is not a suggestion as Christ followers. This is an assumed responsibility. And it's not to the flesh. Life is not a movie where we're the main character. It's not our world and other people are living in it. It's everyone else's world, and we are the lead server of other people in it, right? It's not of the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Interesting concept of death. You will physically die, like a funeral, the whole nine. But you will also be walking dead. You'll be alive. You'll have the appearance of life, but inwardly, you are completely dead. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, well, you'll live. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We are, church, we are obsessed with being busy. It is an idol in our culture, and it is so, excuse me, so difficult to yield to anyone, let alone the Spirit that we can't really see or touch, and uh, if we're honest, kind of, it's kind of weird, right? And, and we, don't, we don't make time to yield to the Spirit of God, and we go at the pace of our schedule and the pace of our own ambition. We live <clears throat> our faith like Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who I love. This guy's crazy. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. And in Matthew 16, Jesus is telling his disciples, man, the end is near. I'm going to be handed over to Pilate. I'm going to be crucified. But don't worry, the ending's great. I'm going to rise again three days later. And Peter right? It's like, he's not having it, right? Give me a sword, give me a gun, give me whatever weapon. Jesus, this will not happen to you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, yeah, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because if you're not yielding to the spirit of God, you're going to think you know how God moves, right? But you're going to miss it. Peter has no idea what God's up to. Peter has no idea in that moment. The guy's been with Jesus for like three years now, 36 months. has no idea the reason why Jesus came was not to overthrow the Roman Empire, but to overthrow sin, Satan, and death, and die on a cross and rise again three days later. Uh, In his book, The Assertive Life, Lighten Ford writes this. Man, this is so good, so convicting. In perpetual motion, I can mistake the flow of my adrenaline 
for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Just because you're active, just because you're busy, does not mean the Spirit is walking with you. When we move in our lives at the pace of our own ambition, we will 10 times out of 10 outpace the Holy Spirit. Now, in sports and competition, that's a good thing to, to be the lead runner. The Holy Spirit is a pace setter for your life. And the Holy Spirit sets a pace where you're going to be disgruntled and be like, I can run faster. I've trained for this. Yes, but this is a marathon, church. It's not a sprint. And the Holy Spirit, if you follow the Holy Spirit, listen to the Holy Spirit, he will set a pace for you that you can live a healthy, emotional life from birth to death, even through, even through, which sadly a lot of Christians have fallen off, even through a global pandemic. He continues to write, I can live in the illusion, I can live in the illusion that I am ultimately in control of my destiny and my daily affairs. And he ends with this, French philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal observed that most of our human problems come because we don't know, wow, we don't know how to sit still in our room for an hour. Practicing the way of the spirit, practicing the way of Jesus and sanctification means we have to stop, guys. Like, could we make more money if we work more hours? Sure. Could, could our kids possibly get a scholarship if they're involved in four sports instead of three? Sure. But at what cost? At what cost, church? Moving at the pace of the Spirit means we learn to slow down and rest, which is not an idea or a value of the culture we find ourselves in, and yet is, it is the idea and value of Christ in the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit is waiting to develop us. Here, I mean, this sermon could be like a seven-week series. Here are some of the things that the Holy Spirit is waiting to do for you if you just decide to yield to him. Speak and guide us. He gives us commands. He makes decisions. And he intercedes with God. However, the Holy Spirit can be resisted, grieved, and even insulted. It's kind of mind-blowing that the Holy Spirit is a person and not an it. Then it's even more mind-blowing that the Spirit can be resisted, it can be grieved, and he can be insulted. It's, it's up to us, church, it's up to us that part of the sanctification, the goal of grace, is practicing daily repentance and choosing to yield to the way of the Spirit. Thirdly and finally, church, we have repentance, yielding, and empowerment. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do ministry. I want to read Romans 8, verses 8 and 13 for us. He says, Paul says, love never fails. Now check out all of these gifts. This is how prominent love is. But where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. They'll be done with. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is Love. Love is the greatest weapon <laughs> in service of other people and growing in uh, our sanctification. And there are so many gifts that the Holy Spirit has given the church, right? Preaching, teaching, leading, serving, showing mercy, music, financial skills. That's also why we 
we hammer hard on you know, being debt-free and Financial Peace University, well, I'm sure we'll be offering some Financial Peace University classes this fall, visitation, visiting people in the hospitals or at their home when, the, when life is really hard, and even, yes, manual labor, serving in the church or serving other people and helping other people. Sanctification is just not like a nice idea, right? It's to grow us and develop us if we're practicing uh, repentance, if we're yielding, and we're willing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to introduce you to one of my favorite people, right? Wendy Borges. You all know Wendy. She's our new, newly hired. Uh, wow, the first, the first service didn't even clap. So Wendy, you're loved by the second service, right? Uh, Wendy's our new connections director, and she loves helping you grow in your sanctification. What are you talking about? She wants to help you serve. She wants to help you, empower you to find out what your personality is, your temperament, and where you could best fit in joining our faith community, the RCC, to serve. And Ben, you might be thinking, Ben, come on, and the eyes are rolling. But, but it's true. Like, opening a door for somebody, serving them, I think it's going to be close, I hope, fingers crossed, serving them coffee in the church, right? Serving in kids' ministry or... Uh, leading a life group for students that are insecure and struggling, but really want adults to love them and come alongside of them. We don't do those things. We don't play in the band or, or serve on tech just to fill spots. We do it because we take our sanctification seriously. Part of serving, part of what I'm doing right now, yes, there's money involved. Yes, I'm a pastor, but more the why is not for you or for me. It's so that I can grow in my sanctification. If I'm not serving in some capacity in the local church or with my life, if life is about me, I will never be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Never. It'll be just me, my heart, my gut, and my intuition, and my instincts. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do ministry. Not only does Jesus die on a cross, rise again three days later, and he gives us the Holy Spirit, but he invites us to help build the thing that he was talking about with his disciples throughout his public ministry, the kingdom of God. And RCC is one outpost, one local expression of the kingdom of God among the thousands of churches uh, here in America. So I want you to take a next step. Uh, on the screen is an opportunity to join one of our serve teams. Just simply text the word with to the 10 digit number on the screen, and we'd love to come alongside you and help serve. I mean, like, really, like last month we had 11 first time visitors. People are beginning to come back, and we want people uh, that, that loved and served you when you attended RCC for the first time for, for you to do the same thing for the next family, the next couple, the next single person, the next. Uh, family that is on, on the verge of a divorce or someone that's trying to figure out their faith and doesn't really know where to go to ask questions. Man, the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve the local church. This, this church is what makes grace so amazing that it changes everything, is that we are invited to be made whole, that God wants to take our broken pieces and over the span of a lifetime, beginning to put them back together again. And not that he would buff out or get a new piece of glass, but that we would see the broken parts of our lives so that when we, right, when we get a little too cocky, a little too comfortable, we can look at what God's put back together. We could see all the cracks and say, this is where God uh, has been involved in my life. Church, I want to challenge you 
to practice daily repentance, to yield to the Spirit and be open to what the Spirit might be inviting you to do in serving in ministry. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we, um, if we're honest, really don't know what to do with you. Um, maybe for some of us, it's kind of weird to have a relationship with the Spirit. Um, but we know that you're here, that you're for us. You want to come alongside of us. We definitely know that when Christians gather, you are in our midst. God, I I pray that we would be really bad at hide and seek this day forward. I pray that we would decide to be known by people we love and trust and that can encourage us in our faith. Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you for the empowerment and the work that you did through the person of Jesus. And if we're honest, sometimes we give Jesus a little too much credit for some of the miracles that he did because those things, Holy Spirit, never happened until after Jesus was baptized and you came alongside of him. And that same spirit that walked alongside Jesus, that resurrected Jesus, and that grew the first church in Acts is the same spirit that lives in us and wants to grow RCC. God, may we be a church that practices daily repentance, yielding and waiting to be empowered by you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.